We do appreciate uh, everyone being here. We appreciate those who have led us in our worship today and uh, the good preparation that has gone in uh, to uh, them leading us today. We really appreciate that. And it's been good to be here today. Already it's been good to be here. Hope I don't detract from that. Maybe I'll be able to add to that in some way. But I uh, appreciate everyone's presence this morning. The 127th Psalm says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. You know, the family is an awfully important relationship uh, to God. He arranged the family and instituted the family in the very beginning. Saw that it wasn't good that the man was alone. And so he created a woman to be his companion and to be his partner and to share his life for the rest of his life. In Genesis chapter 4, we find that uh, Eve, the first woman, says, I've, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And so there's the first person who was born into the world, and I imagine she needed a little help with that, don't you think? And so I've had a child, I've had a son with the help of the Lord. And so now you have a husband and a wife, and you have a child. They have a child. Following that, Abel is born. Following that, Seth is born. And we find in Genesis chapter 5 that Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, the first husband and wife, have many sons and daughters. And so we don't know their names, but their uh, children didn't stop with uh, Cain and Abel and Seth, but they had many sons and daughters. And so God has created the family, a mother, a father, and children. And since the very beginning, since that time, the family has been very important to God. He instituted it. He has plans for it. He has regulated according to His will and for our good. And so in the very beginning, you remember, He saw that it wasn't good for the man to be alone. And so He creates a partner and companion. And so the family is created for our benefit and for our good. God knows that people and societies thrive where there are strong families. And He knows that society and culture becomes weakened as the family is weakened, as the family breaks down. We're going to talk a little bit about the family this morning, especially the relationship between parents and children. And so you can see from our, our reading in the 127th Psalm in verse 3, what God's attitude is about this relationship. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So the Lord gives us our children. They are a gift from the Lord. And He's interested in uh, our relationship with our children. If, if you're as old as I am, and we have some here who are as old as I am, you know that things have changed in families over the last 50 or 60 years. So within my lifetime, I've seen significant changes in families. What's described as the nuclear family, that's not a Bible uh, term, but uh, one that uh, maybe is familiar to us. What's described as the nuclear family, where you have a father and mother and they're married to each other, 
and then they have children, and those children live together with their biological parents. The nuclear family is really almost a relic of a bygone age. Only about 25% of children live in a family with uh, their nuclear, their biological parents married to each other in what we call a nuclear family. And so that's the minority uh, of children live in that kind of relationship today. And as a result, our society faces some challenges that we didn't face back then, 50, 60 years ago, when the nuclear family was the predominant model, the model that prevailed. Our children are struggling in ways unknown just a few years ago. And although the Bible isn't primarily a manual on how to have a good family, that's not the primary message of the Bible, still it does speak to families. And if we follow the teaching of the Bible, our families will be what God intends for families to be, and those families will thrive. They will be healthy and strong. And not only will the people in the family be better off, but if that model prevails, <coughs> then the culture will be better off as well. And so I'm going to talk especially about what children need from their parents today. What our children need from us. Well, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, very simple statement is made there. A man that won't provide for his own has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so one thing our children need from us is just physical provision. Now, you would think that's almost a given, but it's not in our world today. There are lots of fathers who don't provide for their children's basic physical fundamental needs. And so a man might produce a child with a woman, but he's nowhere to be found afterward. And he's neglecting his children. He's not fulfilling this obligation sometimes. Even when the father is around, he's not fulfilling the responsibility to provide for his own, for his own children. <clears throat> now what Paul says about that is really remarkable. The one who doesn't provide for his own has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now as far as the biblical evaluation of things, it's hard to get worse than an unbeliever, isn't it? That, that would be just about as bad as a person could get from a biblical point of view, to be an unbeliever, well, here's something that's worse than an unbeliever if you don't provide for your own. And so one thing that our children need from us is just basic provision, food, clothing, shelter, basic necessities of life. And so we'll start out there. And then, and then the second thing I guess we could say is that our children need to be brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know that passage, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Other versions use different words, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so uh, these words are very closely related. They're, they're, there's a lot of overlap between them. They're, they're practically synonyms. So. This is New American Standard Bible, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. A couple of observations about this particular passage. First of all, note that it's addressed to fathers. Now, it's not that mothers are uninvolved in raising their children and, and providing for them the nurture and admonition of the Lord or discipline and instruction of the Lord, but especially the responsibility of leadership falls on the father. 
And so the father is the head of the wife. He's the head of the family. He's the leader in the family. He sets the tone. He sets the direction of the family. He decides and he sets, uh, establishes what, is, what the family is going to do. What activities are they going to be involved in? What are we going to stress in our family? What's considered important to our family? So to a large degree, that falls upon the father. And so here Paul addresses this statement to the father. Fathers, you're the leader, you're the head, you set the tone. Provoke not your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. A second observation about this particular passage is that there are something fathers are not to do. And so don't do this, but do that. We find that construction often in the Bible. Here's something you're not to do. Don't provoke your children to anger. Colossians chapter 3 is a similar passage in verse 21, which says, Don't exasperate your children. To provoke them to anger, I think, has this idea, don't, don't create a situation in which your children just have, have, have this long-lasting, deep-seated anger that resides in their hearts. This is, it doesn't mean don't ever uh, tell them no and they get upset. Or get, it, it, don't, don't create within them this long-lasting, deep-seated anger that produces all sorts of bad behavior and uh, difficult attitudes as well. Don't embitter your children. Don't ex exasperate your children. And so the Bible recognizes that there's bad parenting. You know? There's bad parenting. A father might exasperate his children through constant criticism, being overbearing, any number of things. And so that would be bad parenting and would produce some really bad consequences. And so he tells us not to do something. And then he says, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, think about uh, that from an Old Testament perspective. Paul, of course, was at one time Saul of Tarsus, steeped in the Old Testament, steeped in Judaism. And no doubt that has a great impact on his life and his teaching. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, I find this expression uh, in the Old Testament. It says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinances, His commandments, Know this day that I'm not speaking with your sons who have not known and who have not seen the discipline of the Lord. Are not, now, so, so this, uh, this generation that came up out of Egypt and they saw what the Lord had done. Now they had children that were born in the wilderness who had not seen those things. So the Lord said, I'm not speaking to the, those who had not seen these things. I'm speaking to you. You came up out of Egypt and saw these things. You saw the discipline of the Lord. And so that's a, similar to the expression we find in Ephesians chapter 6. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Well, then he goes on to explain what's included in that. His greatness, His mighty hand, and His outstretched arm, His signs, His works, which He did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all His land. And what He did to Egypt's army, to its horses, its chariots, when you made the water of the Red Sea to engulf them while they were pursuing you, and the Lord completely destroyed them. And what He did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place. And what He did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, 
the sons of Reuben, when he opened, when the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them, their households, their tents, every living thing that followed them among all Israel. And so here's the discipline of the Lord. It contains the things that you need to know about God, about who He is and what He's done. In this particular case, all these mighty works of God in which God's judgment was executed on those who disobeyed. And so that's part of the discipline of the Lord. Bring them up in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. Well, what do you mean by that? You need to teach them who God is. You need to teach them what God is like. You need to teach them what God has done. And other passages like Deuteronomy chapter 6, they're told to teach their children the commandments of God. Verse 6, Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. These works which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you sit down, when you rise up. And so teach them the commandments. Teach them the why of what we do. Not only teach them to do these things, but teach them why we do these things. These are the things that the Lord has commanded. And then there are other passages in the Old Testament that speak to parents teaching their children. In Exodus chapter 12, there the Passover is being instituted. And there's a comment made in verse 26, Exodus 12, verse 26, in which he, uh, which he raises this question. When your children say to you, what does this mean to you? And so here you are, you're sitting around, you're observing the Passover, this special meal, and your child is there. And you notice this is a little unusual, this is a special meal, we're doing things differently today. And your child said, Dad, what's all this mean? Why are we doing this? You shall say, it's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians. Your child is going to ask you when he sees things unusual, what are, why are we doing it this way? What, what does this mean? All right, you teach them. You teach them what, what to do. You teach them why we do what we do. You teach them about God. You teach them who God is. You teach them what God has done. And so imagine a child growing up in Israel as he, he grows up in this godly family he sees them observing the Passover and observing Pentecost. He sees them observing the Sabbath day. He hears them talk about the law of God. He sees them keeping the dietary laws. He, he sees them uh, keeping the regulations concerning being clean and unclean. So he grows up in that environment, in that atmosphere, bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then what does he become when he becomes an adult? Well, all of that is seeped into his character. All of that is seeped into his behavior. He's learned what to do. He's learned why to do it. He's learned about God and his relationship with God. And so he's very likely to do those things again. The world has got to be a confusing place for children, don't you think? I mean, those of us who are adults who have children and see, see little children, that our, our world has got to be a confusing place. What they see and hear from the world around them is not what they should accept and practice themselves. They need parents to teach them right from wrong. They need parents to teach them good from evil. They need parents to give them a framework from which they can evaluate the world correctly. 
And so as you see at school, you see your friends or people you know doing this, all right, you've got a foundation, you've got a framework by which to evaluate those words and deeds and conduct correctly. They didn't need that from their parents. And we do this the same way we teach them other important things in life. We verbalize these things. We tell them, here's what you should do. Here's what you should not do. This is the reason you should do it. This is the reason you should not do it. And it's just part of our, part of our family activity. So if we want to emphasize this, that's what we do. If we want to emphasize spiritual things, well, then we do that, we do that as well. Things don't happen by accident. Our children are not going to grow up to be strong, spiritually-minded, committed Christians by accident. They're going to have to be trained. They're going to have to be taught. If we do that effectively, well then, well, we stand a very good chance that they will be faithful when they grow up. Second thing they need is to see good examples in the home. They need to see a good example from father and a good example from mother. And so a child growing up needs both of those, exposure to both of those. Good strong father in the home and a good strong mother in the home. You know, that's how a child learns what a good man is. How is your child going to learn what a good man is? Well, he's going to begin learning that when he's a child watching his own father. And so he sees what a, a good man does. He sees how a good man reacts uh, to stressful situations. He sees how a good man treats his wife and his children. He sees or hears the kind of language a good man uses. And so he learns how to be a man, we hope a good man, from his father. But he's also learning the same thing about a woman. How do I, how do I know what a good woman is? Well, we're going to begin learning that from, from our mother. And so teaching with a good example, teaching with a good example is an effective way to teach. Teaching without a good example is only half effective. A good example without teaching also is insufficient. We need both. Teaching, showing, and verbal instruction. You ever heard the expression, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day? Well, there's a lot of truth to that, isn't it? And so our children would rather see in us what we are to be than simply be told what we should be. Paul invites people to follow his example. He does this in a number of places. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. He's been talking about the giving up of liberty or giving up of right in order to help a brother who's weak in conscience. And he says, be imitators of me just as I also am in Christ. Be imitators of me. So Paul says, follow my example. I'll show you the way. In a general way, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, he says, the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. There's the power of a good example. What you see in me do. We, as fathers, we, we want to put ourselves in a position where we can see, tell our children that. What you see me do, that's what you ought to do. Or it would be nice if our wife could say to our children, you follow the example of your dad, he's, he's a good man. And, and the husbands say that about his wife. That, that's what we need in our, our homes. Our children need that. There's 
another interesting exhortation toward a good example in Hebrews 13 and verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the Word of God to you. Considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. And so think about those who spoke the Word of God to you. Think about their conduct and imitate their faith. That power of a good example. Parents need to be aware that your children are watching even when you don't know they're watching. There are times when we're very much aware of that. My children are watching me. I want to be on guard. I want to make sure that I handle myself correctly. I don't want to put a bad example in front of them. But most of the time, our children are watching and observing when, when we're not aware of it, when we're not thinking about it, when we don't know they're watching. So, they hear how we talk to and about each other. Even when we're not not aware that they're listening, they they hear that. They hear the kind of language that we use. They see how we react in difficult situations. They see if we lash out in anger. They see if we stay calm and keep our heads. They see if we're patient and kind and honest and good. On the other hand, they see if we're complainers and fault finders and continual grumblers. They see if we love all men, neighbors, family, everyone else, or not. They see our true priorities. They can see how maybe our actions about priorities are a little bit inconsistent with our words. So they pick up on those things, of course. It has an influence on them. Parents, in fact, have a tremendous influence over their children. I I know you've seen this. You see a child, he grows up in a family, and after a while you can see... That, that child, he's just like his dad. You know? He talks like his dad. He uses the same expressions as his dad. His mannerisms are like his dad. And parents have a tremendous influence over their children. Sometimes children will make the same mistakes as their parents. They follow their examples. How many times do we find ourselves saying or hear other people say, well, that, that's the way I was raised. Our children need good examples from us. They need us to teach them. They need us to show them what it's like to live in the fear of the Lord. Children need to be told no sometimes or to be disciplined. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, A child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Now we want to We want to allow our children to to do what they like to do. We want to encourage that. Can't do that all the time. And so a child who always gets his way will eventually bring shame to his mother. Is there anyone here who believes that many of our problems seen in the world today are not attributable to parents who indulge their children? Let me just say that a different way. Can we all agree... That when a parent doesn't tell his child no from time to time, that inappropriate behavior is going to eventually be the result. That that seems to be the approach of some parents. Never upset your child. Never withhold anything he wants. Never restrain bad behavior. Disaster awaits. (laughs) That's all I can say. A parent that never restrains his child never tells him no, indulges him all the time. The worst thing that can be done is for your child to get upset and cry. Disaster is waiting right around the corner. 
In the book of 1 Samuel, we read about Eli. Eli was a, a priest before God, and he had some sons who you know, grew up, grew up in his family, and they became evil. They become, in fact, very evil, an evil reputation among the people. Chapter 2, verse 17 says, they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. We talked a week or two ago about not, uh, not retaining the proper attitude toward holy things, making holy things common. Well, they, they were doing that with the sacrifices people would bring to the Lord. And so they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the temple. And so they were sexually immoral. And then they were blaspheming God as well. You know what 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 13 says about their father's attitude toward that or their father's action toward that? And they're doing some really, really bad things. In 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 13, it says that Eli did not restrain them. No restraint. Apparently just let them do what they wanted to do didn't rebuke them, didn't try to rein them in, and of course the result was disaster. The Bible tells us that parents are to discipline their children. Parents are sometimes to tell their children no and not allow them to do things that are bad for them or bad for others or going to result in bad consequences. Proverbs 13 verse 24, He who withholds his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. There are another number of other passages, especially from the book of Proverbs, that speak to the discipline of a child. Proverbs 22 and verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it from him. And in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not hold back discipline from the child. If you... Uh, although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Don't withhold discipline from the child. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Proverbs 29 and verse 15. Your children need, need boundaries. We, that's the way we might say it today. Children need boundaries. Actually, I believe children want boundaries. Here, here's the limit of your behavior. If you cross over this line, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to suffer the consequences. Children whose parents never restrain their behavior, children whose parents never keep them from harmful behavior, are left to wonder if their parents really care about them. And so they might enjoy the indulgence for a while, but eventually, no, nobody cared about me. Nobody told me no. Nobody tried to restrain my bad behavior. In fact, uh, we show our love for our children by telling them no. Well, what kind of parent would it be who saw his child playing with, a, you know, a, the electrical outlet in the wall? He's over there and he's handling it, he's playing with it, and, and didn't say, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Just, just let him go his way and, until he hurts himself. What kind of parent would that be? And so this harmful behavior has to be restrained. And it may not be playing with the electrical outlet. It might be other kinds of harmful behavior that we see a child doing. We've got to say, no, you can't do that. And so we need to be the parent in the family. Be the parent in the family. 
Assert your parental authority. Too often the child bends the father's will to him, himself or the mother's will to himself. Instead of the parent bending the child's will, the child bends the parent's will. And of course, again, disaster results. At times we just have to say, no, you can't do that. No, you can't go there. No, you can't wear that. Yeah, sometimes I wonder where the fathers are when their children, or especially their young daughters, go going out. Surely if they saw that, no, you can't wear that. And no, you can't have that. Why is that? Because we, we want to be mean and, and withhold what our children want? We, no, no, because we know what's good for them. Maybe we learn even from our own mistakes. We know what's good for them. We know what's harmful to them. And so sometimes we have to tell our children no. We want to tell them yes, as much as possible. <laughs> but sometimes we have to tell them no. The final thing I'm going to say, just in, in passing here almost, just very briefly, is that parents need to prepare their children for life on their own. And so when a child enters the world, you know, from the, from the moment that child, we don't like to think of it this way, but when the moment when that child enters the world, we need to be thinking about, you know, what does this child need when he's on his own or when she's on her own? I need to be preparing this child for life on his own or life on her own and need to give them practical, everyday, common sense direction so that they can make good decisions. A few weeks ago, several weeks ago now, I had Andrew Smith here from Gardale. He preached from the book of Proverbs. thought he made a good point. You know, God wants us to use common sense. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. God wants us to use common sense. And so we need to enable our children to make good common sense decisions in life so that they'll be prepared to live life on their own. And we can do that in a number of ways. Teach them the good value of work, how to manage their money, how to get along with people, all those kinds of things. But we need to prepare them so that when they get to that stage in life and go out into the world, they're ready. They're ready to make good decisions. They're going to benefit them. As parents, we have tremendous ob uh, obligation, tremendous responsibility. We have, we have this little life in our hands. It's a, a blank slate when it comes into the world. And, and it's up to us, to very large degree, to teach them, to mold them, to shape them into the kind of people that they ought to be. The kind of people that please God, primarily the kind of people that please God. We do that by bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are blessed, Father, to be able to call upon you as our Father and that, you are, that we are your children. Father, we are able to, to look to you and the way that you deal with us and pattern our parenting after the way you deal with us. Yes, Father, at times you discipline us and you correct us. But Father, we understand that it's always in our best interest, that you have nothing but our good in mind. You bless us in every way, Father. You, you give us e even more than we need. You teach us, you show us the kind of people that we ought to be.
You're patient and kind and good and loving, even when you tell us no at times. Help us, Father, as children, as parents. Help us to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Help us to teach them what they need to know to be the kind of people that please you. Help us, Father, to be good examples in the home and reinforce that teaching in that way. Help us, Father, to be consistent and loving when we tell our children no, when we discipline them. Help us to convey to them the idea that this is for your benefit, this is for your good, this is to keep you from harm. Father, we pray, we understand that we're going to make mistakes as parents, we're going to fall short at times. Help us always, Father, to convey to our children that we love them. And even though we make mistakes, still, Father, we love them and we have nothing but their best interest in our hearts. Our Father, we pray that you'll give us wisdom and insight that we need in order to be good parents, not only the knowledge, but the wisdom and insight, and give us the strength, Father, that we need to carry out our parental obligations as well. Father, our goal for our children more than anything else is that they go to heaven. And so, Father, help us to make that primary in our teaching, our example, so that they can go to heaven when this life is over. We ask for your help in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen.